The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand cave rescue operation. What is schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? engagement How long before gift? a wedding should I send out How many save games the dates? Are in the first series Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search podcast, Tyson Stockton. Hey, my name is Tyson Stockton from previsible.io. And in this episode, we're continuing the conversation on the Yandex source code link. Joining me today again is Mike King, who's the founder of iPollRank. iPollRank provides technical SEO and content strategy solutions behind the world's biggest enterprise and mid-market brands. iPollRank's technical SEO and content strategies have helped drive over $2 billion in incremental revenue. iPollRank, Mike, has been awarded the 2020 search marketer of the year, the 2022 top 10 SEOs, author of an upcoming book, and his album that was released in 2021, Iconic. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right. Here's my conversation with Mike King, founder of iPollRank. Mike, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So if anyone's just jumping into this conversation, stop now and go back to the previous episode. I know everyone <laughs> wants to hear the ranking factors, but the conversation yesterday, I think lines, it sets the stage for people of, I think, how to be thinking about this and also some of the fundamental values that this brings to understanding how search engines work and data retrieval in general. But we are going to get into ranking factors now today. 
first call out, I think a lot of the posts, a lot of the noise around this initially was coming out with the 1900 and change ranking factors and calling out, hey, there's 2000 ranking factors for Yandex. You came out quite early on and called out, hey, there's actually like 18,000, probably even some additional ones on top of that. I think this is a big difference. Can you kind of just clarify or explain to people where the different kind of numbers came from or why there may be this different information out there on number of ranking factors? Yeah, it's Martin McDonald's fault. That's my guy. I'm not talking (laughs) trash about him, but it's his fault. So there's always this rush to like be the first to highlight something. And I'd gotten access to the code base on the Thursday from when in that week that it came out. And I was just trying to like methodically go through it and, and do what I did, like figure out some key comprehensive insights and so on. And I came across the file that he referenced and he was just like, yo, let me get this out. Let me tell the world, like, here's all these ranking factors. And there is a file that has 1,922 ranking factors in it. Problem is that there are a series of files with that same name that have additional ranking factors in it. And so the ultimate value was 17,854. But then there's also a series of Jupyter notebooks in there that have an additional about 2,000 ranking factors as well. And so the thinking around those is that those might have been tests that engineers were doing to see like, hey, do we also want to use these as well? So you know, the thing is, in the documentation related to MatrixNet, they say that there are tens of thousands of factors. And so, yeah, that could be 20,000 or it could be whatever, right? Like there's any number of ways that you can look at a feature of a website and, and call it different things. It makes the environment incredibly complex because, you know, the way they describe MatrixNet is like, we're going to feed everything in there. And then based on the query, it's going to discern what is more valuable. And so when we talk about analogs to Google, Google also has systems like that. Like we all know that different queries or different verticals are treated differently. And perhaps in the past, those might have been like bespoke algorithms that were written. But in this machine learning environment, it could be like, hey, we've decided like for this set of queries at runtime that we're going to weight things differently. But in some of the patents that Google has, they they talk about there being a framework for there being multiple different scoring functions that they choose from. And then based on what the outputs are for those different ones, they decide which ones they want to pull the rankings from. So the whole thing is just really interesting with respect to there's just so much data being considered and far more than we probably ever thought. Well, and... It's a good reminder, too, that the exact ranking factors may not be the most important piece in this because it's like, yeah, maybe today it's 10,000, 20,000, but then maybe like in a year from now that increases or maybe even decreases from it. So it's like it's not going to be static, the amount of ranking factors that they have, but like the breakdown of those two. And I thought it was interesting that you were calling out the static, the dynamic And then lack of a better name, the query user specific ones. And I think that's a better frame to be thinking about this is those buckets, because obviously the individual items within those are going to change query by query, but also it's going to change over time. What I guess was the first kind of piece or like anything that stood out in the static group to you? 
I mean, there's so many things in there that are weird to me. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the one where it's like, is the keyword in the domain in these like weird three-letter blocks, right? Like I think the, the keyword was something like Choletto or whatever. It's it's some sort of lottery. And they they break up each of the three-letter things and they say, okay, is there overlap in the domain? And that sounds very similar to how Google might have considered exact match domains, right? Like, okay, is this query in there? Yes, let's give some power to that. But I thought what was one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that they devalue ads so much. So the highest weighted negative factor was, are there ads on this page? And then there's another one that says, are there ads that are specifically Yandex ads on this page? And then another two that were funny to me was that in the top five highest weighted positive ones was, is this domain a .com? And then the other one was a negative factor for if it was a Russian domain. So it's like, the Russian search engine doesn't trust the Russian website. Some other interesting things were like things that like Google has explicitly said that they don't do. Like we don't use a dwell time. There's no host rank. We don't keep track of whether or not you're a spammy domain after you've been had your manual penalty lifted and things like that. Whereas Yandex has a host rank. They have a spam karma. They have explicitly dwell time as features. So it just shows you that there can be value to the things that Google says isn't worth using. Definitely. I did also really find that kind of humorous, the .ru component, which I mean, I guess I, I guess I can get, but I wasn't really expecting to see that. I think the linking piece was interesting too, with like PageRank and your call out on how they'd previously removed that. And it's like, we constantly keep having this conversation of like, do backlink matters? How much do backlink matter? Like this whole piece, what was your interpretation of the, of seeing that there, knowing the history that they've had with linking? Yeah, that was really interesting to me, um, especially because he did that. And just to clarify, because I wasn't clear enough in the article, they didn't pull out links entirely from their ranking system. They pulled it out specifically for uh, commercial queries in Moscow. So that's like a really specific case. But, you know, just the fact that they realized like, hey, we tried this out and it didn't work gives you a sense of like, all right, well, Google keeps threatening to, to no longer use links. Good luck, you know, because... I want to believe that we can do something with machine learning that really highlights content better and the links don't matter as much. But if you go back through the history of search engines, which I do in the book, <laughs> all of them attempted to use links for some purpose. It wasn't Google that considered links first. Like even Webcrawler, the gentleman, his name is Brian Pinkerton. He said that, one of his next things to do was to consider links for rankings purposes. And he explicitly was looking at linking root domains rather than like every single link. And it made a, a considerable difference to every search engine. So how is it that Google would be like, yeah, let's just pull out our bread and butter. And, you know, maybe they've invented something that I don't know about that just works so well. But I find it hard to believe when 
the web is like just so big at this point that they could just pull that out. But yeah, seeing PageRank, seeing it being the 17th highest weighted factor there is also kind of interesting because you would expect it to be a bit higher. But the way that they consider links is actually really interesting as well, right? Like where they had the, the spam calculator file. And one of the things that they do is they're like discounting links in duplicate content. And it's like five lines of code that does that. And so this idea that people are getting away with things when they are doing site-wide links and, and doing duplicate content across the web and so on, like it just shows how trivial it is for them to discount that. So again, I think that is all super good context to have when you're considering like what to do or, or where you want to see where the edges are. Like I'm, I would never consider, I mean, generally I wouldn't, but I would never consider like, oh, let me get a whole bunch of sidebar links from this web, this website or do like the link ring thing. Cause it's like, it's just so obvious how easily that can be pulled out. So yeah, that those are my takeaways around the link stuff. Well, and it's, it's a nice reminder too, that it's like, there's this entire breadth of factors and layering and complexity to it. And then in the anti-spams, like, okay, yeah, like that's in comparison, like pretty straightforward if you think of like everything else that's being done and taking place. Another piece on like the links and kind of pulls over into two areas that I found interesting was the age like I was I was not necessarily expecting to see the age of the link and also the age of the article being in there. And it's like, I guess I can kind of make sense to it. But to me, it's still a little bit of an odd one. Like what's what's your interpretation of that element? Like, were you expecting it or is it something that kind of took you by surprise as well? Yeah. So the age component is something that we always talk about in SEO and some people believe that it's important. Some don't. It is really interesting to see the way that they use it because I think, what was it? It was like, if it's not like today and it's not 10 years old, then you don't get a boost of any kind or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it was, but it really just brings into focus that recency and also just like something be around for a long time are both things that can be considered. And so in the, in the Google environment, how I'm applying this is that the way their index is structured is that they store pages forever, right? Like you, what you see in the index isn't all they have for that page. They have every time they crawled it and it was different. And so they're able to compare what was here now versus what is there before. And so if you have a link and that link wasn't there before and that page is 10 years old, they can see that. And so there can be a weight, a specific weighting to that link in addition to there being like a general weighting to the page and then that like how that page rank could flow. So really what I've learned here is that it's not a binary thing. Like, do I have a link or don't I have a link? It, there's a lot of different nuances and considerations about those links that can be uh, taken into account. And it just makes link building <laughs> even harder when you consider it, right? Like, it's not like, oh, let me do a bunch of guest posts or let me get a bunch of links on a resource page. Like, they have a very good understanding that that was not there before. And again, if they see 
if they can see this from a web scale, they can be like, oh, Mike's link building again. Like, I feel like there, there can be filters for that. So it's really just harder than we think it is. Like everything is harder than we think it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's the onion. It's layer upon layer upon yeah. layer. Ones that like I wasn't surprised by, but I it was like kind of nice to see <laughs> was like the preferred treatment for Wikipedia. And I think like <laughs> there are a few things that I feel like have been in this debate realm of whether or not that was happening. Also, you hear like, kind of back and forth or disagreements within like user behavior and how much of a factor that is. So it's like for me, those, yeah, it was like, it were things that it wasn't a surprise for me, but it was kind of like a nice proof point of like, okay, yeah, like sure it's not, we're not looking at Google source code, but it was also like, I think we can universally agree a little bit more now on some of these like elements. Yeah, another one that was, weird to me, but not really like the demotion of pages if they're from a store. Like you're just like, yeah, get these get these stores out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the rise of informational uh, content in there. Time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. One, I mean, actually, one thing that I wanted to go back to is the hard-coded weighting factors and seeing that in the area. And you, you touched on it on the last episode a little bit. But can you explain to the listeners the significance of seeing those being hard-coded in? and what that implies for potential other usage of that of those factors. Yeah, the me hard coded in I think it goes back to what I said in the last episode it's it's really just like a query independent you know scoring to determine whether or not these pages are worth considering. I don't think it means anything in particular as far as like how those factors are considered downstream in MatrixNet or wherever else they might be considered. But I think it's really important when you think about the consideration set, right? Like if you're a new page and you don't have most of these factors, this right here tells you like you're not likely to get in there because you're going to be downweighted by so many other things. 
And so I think it's, it's really important to see it because, again, it's something we have never seen. And it also gives you a sense of what it actually looks like to score a page, right? Like you see, like looking at those numbers, imagine that each value there is like, you know, on a scale of one to 10 and then multiply by these coefficients. Well, those scores can easily be in the hundreds or potentially higher or whatever. And so it gives you a sense of like, when you think about something like PageRank, which is also scored similarly, the values that we always saw from a zero to 10, that, I mean, we always knew it wasn't the real value. Like those are the logarithmic values, but those values also similarly went into like the hundreds or in some cases, perhaps like, you know, thousands or even higher, right? In one of the earlier versions of Larry Page's patent, the one that didn't get accepted, I think he wrote himself, he shows examples with the actual scores and it's like in the hundreds. But anyway, it's just really good to get a sense of what it is that you're dealing with and how it actually looks and how some of the things you do, you just don't have a chance because of what it's considering. Yeah, it's like, and you touched on that too in some of like the anti-SEO factors and like the subset of the 39 that's like, hey, these are going to potentially keep URLs from entering in. But I think it's, again, kind of going back to to the layers of this where you do have this baseline of like just getting in the game and then from that of where do you actually perform within it. And it's in the same vein of it's like, well, yeah, first to like to show up, it needs to be discovered, included in the index, then we can move forward from it. So I do agree that it's like from just a fundamental, like, how do I get in the game? You have your baseline and then from there you can move on from it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that they they have that anti-SEO upper bound because, again, I think that's an idea that we've considered, like... If you do too much of this, this can be considered over-optimization. And they have a series of metrics, as you've just touched on, where it's like, okay, if it's beyond, you know, a 0.8 or if it's if it's a one or whatever, that means like this page just counted out, right? And so understanding that I think allows people to understand that they should probably be more cautious with some of the things that they're doing. And to some degree, we've already learned that with like Panda and Penguin and so on. But it just goes to show that that's likely something that continues to persist. With Panda and Penguin being added to the core algorithm, you kind of don't think about it as much anymore. But it's still there and it's still looking for those factors. So I think it's a a good wake-up call of their likely being thresholds that are query independent that can keep you out of the rankings. Excellent point. Last thing I wanted to touch on is the notes to scraping in there. And I, I feel like throughout this, there's a, also a few different layers of irony. And like we talked about the dot RU, obviously a leak coming from the index, I thought was kind of just interesting from the start <laughs> of it all. And then seeing the scraping of Google and what that usage was. Maybe if you can kind of just elaborate what that means, seeing what they're scraping and then seeing how one search engine is using scraped elements (laughs) from another. Because I just felt like that was really rich in the irony of this whole uh, development. Yeah, it's kind of like, we're just giving up. Like, we'll just scrape you guys. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't figured out like how that data is used yet. Like I haven't seen it goes into this pipeline and they do whatever with it. But it is interesting because it's just such a complete scrape. Like they're scraping, they're parsing out everything from the page. Like every feature, the CSS selector is in there for every single thing. So how they use that downstream, I'm going to guess it's probably similar to what Bing was doing, where it's like, hey, we don't have good results for this query. Let's see what Google has. But what's interesting is that it's not limited to just the web results. They scrape for images. They're scraping YouTube. They're also scraping TikTok. And TikTok kind of makes sense because, you know, you got to crawl TikTok anyway to index that content. But perhaps what they felt is that they weren't getting enough of it to provide, you know, good results there. But with Google, I'm kind of like, why? Like, it feels like an admission that your results are not good enough if you feel the need to do that. Because I couldn't imagine a world where like Google is scraping Bing or anyone else. Like, they're just like, cool, let's figure it out for ourselves. So yeah, that one is, is kind of a head scratcher to me, unless it's the same use case that Bing had. I mean, I'd be interested too to see how much of a like benchmark factor <laughs> goes into that too, of like using it as like a grading system, evaluating how what you're serving in comparison, because you know, Google is kind of the goalpost <laughs> in this regard. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I thought that was uh yeah, just a little rich there. I mean that that's a good point. That's a good point, because I think those parsers were written in Python and it seems like a lot of the Python code, and I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of the Python code, it's obviously outside of the C++ stuff, but it seems like it might not be as core. So it may be for exactly what you're saying. But again, that wouldn't necessarily make sense for them to scrape YouTube or scrape image results. So I don't know, but you know, we'll keep digging that one up. Yeah. And two, I would call out to the listeners too for seeing kind of like all the factors that you've identified from this. Head over to ipolrank.com slash the index dash search dash ranking dash factor dash insights. I know it's a long URL, but it's easy enough to find. And just knowing, hey, you can submit that and then download the CSV file for this to kind of play around for yourself a little bit if you don't want to get into the source code. Any last kind of comments that you'd want to make about what you found or what's next to come with this information? Yeah, for me, is I just want to continue to dig into it. And I really want to build a community around this sort of stuff, right? Because I think that there are many things that we can do in the SEO community to continue to drive our stuff forward, our understanding forward. Because I think that earlier on when we had more SEOs that were like super technical by default, they were doing this. And that's, again, where a lot of our understanding comes from. So if we can get the best technical SEOs out there to continue to congregate around these ideas and figure out and dig into more of the new patents, the new white papers, the new talks, the new open source stuff that Google is putting out, the more we can develop an understanding that is as sophisticated as Google is now, rather than relying on the understanding that was built in the early 2000s. Absolutely. And definitely just personally, really excited and interesting to see what does come out from that. So it'll be on my radar to check out. Also look forward to checking out the book, The Science of SEO, which is, if I'm not mistaken, 
set to come out this spring. So also yeah. for the listeners, be on the lookout for that as it comes out later this year. And with that, it wraps up this episode of the Voice of Search podcast. Thanks to Mike King, founder of iPollRank, for joining us. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Mike and his company, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at iPollRank, or visit his company's website, iPollRank.com. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T.